This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, last time, uh, so, so we've been on somewhat of a series. We began with talking about Abraham, uh, Adam and the image of God and how God created them and how they fell, but how God created a promise. He made a promise in Genesis 3 verse 15. After they fell in the garden, he pronounces judgment against the serpent and says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God institutes here the first uh, pronouncement of Christ coming into the world to deal with this problem of sin, deal with this serpent who had caused them to fall in the garden. And so this seed of the woman, this very specific person was going to come to destroy this serpent. And so... The story of the Bible is how God brings this promise about through Jesus Christ. And so it's always been about Christ, and it always will be about Christ. And we moved on from there to talk about Abraham and how through time God focuses on Abraham and comes to him and makes this special promise of making a blessing through his seed that would bless all the families of the earth. So it would, it's connected to this in the sense that it's something that will affect all of humanity. Um, and we saw how God blessed Abraham and made that promise to him, uh, that he'd make his name great, that he'd give him the land, and that he would bring the seed promise through him, and, and that's the connection there. Well, as time goes on, Abraham, we see the promise fulfilled uh, to him in the form of Isaac being born to Sarah. They try through their earthly means, uh, but that doesn't go so well. And so God, through His providence and power, gives Sarah a child at 90 years old, and she bears Isaac. Well, Isaac grows up and has two sons. His wife is found with, with twins as, as we move on and go into Genesis chapter 25. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord uh, was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? She was wondering what was happening with her as the children struggled within her. And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So God tells, tells them that there's two nations represented in these children, and as they grow, and it's kind of the, the path that would happen historically, uh, the, the elder would serve the younger. And we see how that kind of begins to take shape uh, as they grow up. It indicates that uh, Esau, the older son, was a wicked person. And he, he sold his birthright. His birthright as the firstborn was to gain, gain more of the inheritance, and he was supposed to be the, the, the one on whom the blessings fell. But as he was out hunting in the field and very famished and he thought he was at the point of death, and, and I know we've studied about that here. David has done a, a great lesson on that. Um, he was out in the field and famished, and he comes to his brother and says, I'm going to starve to death, and what good is this birthright going to do me? So I'll sell it to you for a, a bowl of beans. And so he gets his bowl of beans, and he's, he's fed for that day, and he gives up this great blessing. And the Bible counts him as a wicked person for doing that. He, he, he didn't care about his birthright and didn't have re respect and regard to it. And he was wicked. Um, and what happens next is also related to this prophecy in, in that the younger would become the chief 
and the Lord over his, his older brother and these nations. And, and that's how it would play out in history. <clears throat> in Genesis 27, we see Jacob receive a blessing. Now, with the help of his mother, Rebekah, uh, she helps him to, to create this plan. Isaac had told Esau, go out in the field, kill a, kill a deer, make these meats, and bring it in. We'll have a meal. And before I die, I want to bless you and, and pronounce these blessings and pass these on from God. And so uh, Jacob, with the help of his mother, disguises himself as Esau in order to receive the blessing from Isaac. And so he get, goes in with deceit and with subtlety and craftiness. And the trickery works. Esau, uh, Isaac rather, ends up blessing Jacob to be exalted above his brother Esau. And Esau is made his servant. And now... Although Jacob used deceit, remember, this was something that God prophesied was going to take place. Uh, indeed, Jacob ultimately supplanted his brother, and that's what his name means, uh, because when they, were, when they were born, it says that Jacob grabbed onto his heel, and so they named him Jacob. He's a heel grabber, the supplanter, and indeed, he lives up to his name, his name here, um, and he supplants his brother. Uh, he, he claims the birthright, and then he claims this great blessing that, that Isaac has pronounced on him now. And so Esau is enraged by this. He hates his brother now, and he determines in his heart to kill him. And so uh, Isaac, or Rebekah rather, learns of this plan that he's going to kill his brother. And so she loves him very much. Uh, she loves Jacob and sends him away. And he flees to, to her family's land in, in uh, Padanaram and, and, uh, to go and find a wife there. And so she sends him off, and he's fleeing from his brother's wrath. And on his journey to this place, to, to, to uh, Padanaram, he stops at a place called Bethel, and he sleeps there. And Bethel means the house of God, as, as we'll learn uh, from, from the passage and from the chapter. But in chapter 28, we see that Jacob has this dream uh, as, he's, as he's sleeping there. Genesis 28, verse 12, And as he dreamed, behold, a ladder set upon the earth, the staircase he saw just sitting upon the earth and reaching up to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the God, uh, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again to this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So God here appears in this dream and pronounces this great blessing to Jacob. And, and it, again, he repeats the promise that he had made to Abraham. He repeats this promise of being uh, in that in his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed, and he was going to be greatly multiplied, and that God was going to be with him. And what we see of Jacob is a great reverence toward this, toward this, this uh, event. When he wakes up, he says, <clears throat> in verse 16, he wakes out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he's here at Bethel, the house of God. And he says, this is the gate of heaven. He's just filled with awe. He is just filled with reverence in this moment because of this great dream that he has uh, and hearing 
this voice of God telling him that he would be with him. And so when he, as he awakes, he, he takes the stone that he had set a hat as his pillow and he sets it up as a memorial of this event that took place of God confirming this blessing to him. Uh, in verse 18, Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me will I surely give the tenth to thee. So he sets up this memorial. He vows this vow to God and he does something very significant. Takes this stone and he pours this oil on top of it. And, and he offers this, this sacrifice and it's very symbolic, this stone being anointed. And he says, this stone shall be God's house. Um, very significant. So Jacob goes on and continues in his journey. And by the time we get to, to uh, through Genesis 29, 30, and 31, we see Jacob endure 20 years of hardship. Uh, his mother, Rebekah, sends him to her brother, Laban, to find a wife among, among his family. And on his journey, he meets Rachel as he approaches the town there that, that, they, that they lived in. He meets Rachel. He loves her, and he agrees to work for his uncle Laban for seven years so that he could marry her. But it seemed, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty sweet in the story when, uh, you know, it, as it describes Jacob's, uh, Jacob's labors, it says that it seemed like just a few days to him. Those seven years seemed just like a few days because of how much he loved her. Um, but unfortunately, his uncle wasn't an honorable man. And after the wedding feast that they had, Jacob wakes up to find that his new bride is not Rachel, but it's her older sister Leah, or Leah, rather. Uh, Laban then bargains uh, with him for another seven years of, of work from Jacob in order for him to have Rachel as his wife. Who, who, and Rachel is the one that he really loves and really cares for. Um, and so he's tricked into to marrying this, this sister that he was not interested in in the first place. And so that causes a lot of problems, that causes a lot of chaos in, in, their, in their family. Um, in Genesis chapter 30, we see that chaos play out in the bitter rivalry between these sisters, about, and, and they were fighting to see who could bear Jacob the most children, um, and who could be the best sister, and just a horrible uh, situation that Jacob had to be put into uh, because of his uncle Laban. Um, and during this time, as they're having these children, Jacob has 11 out of the 12 sons uh, of Jacob. And these would become the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. But he has 11 out of those 12 sons. Um, Jacob also, during this time in Genesis 30, has to endure more of Laban's antics. And agrees, uh, he wants to build up his own cattle and his own flocks because he wants to leave Laban's uh, land now and, and go on home. He wants to go home. And he says, I don't have my own cattle. And he says, well, work for me another six year, build up the flock, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, work, we'll work something out. And Laban tries to switch things around and makes it really difficult for Jacob to achieve this. But, but God is with him and helps him to prevail. And he says so in, in, there in Genesis 30, uh, that even though Laban changed the terms constantly, God was with him and he helped him to, to prevail. 
So he, so it's a lot of difficulty, a lot of hardships that he's having to endure because of the situation now that he's in with, with his wives, uh, because of his, the antics of his uncle. And for, so for 20 years he works and he labors and he endures these hardships. And in Genesis 31, God calls him to return uh, from the place he's at, uh, Padanaram, back to Canaan, the land where he's from. And so Jacob gathers up his family, he gathers up his flocks, and he begins his journey home, as we see, uh, as we see it mentioned in Genesis 31, verse 3, which, which I've left off here. But it says, The Lord said to Jacob, Return from the land unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. So God reassures him and says, I'll be with you. Return back home. Now, as in Genesis 32, we see it's time for Jacob, after these 20 years that he fled from, from his brother, after gaining the blessing by deceit and, and fleeing from his brother's wrath, it's time for him to confront the past. Uh, on his journey home, it says in Genesis 32, a, a host of God's angels meet him. And he is, and, and I think it's just a reminder, it seems like a reminder to Jacob that God is with him. This great host of angels is, is there and meets him. As he arrives closer to home, uh, it's just this great encouragement, I think, to him and then a reminder. But as he arrives closer, he knows that he's approaching his brother Esau. And so he sends uh, messengers before him. It says in verse 3, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, uh, the country of Edom. And, and uh, that's the nation of Edom is, is what is the lineage of Esau. As he grew his family, they became this nation of Edom. And that's these two nations. And ultimately, because of the, the strife that they had and Esau hating him, uh, ultimately that nation of Edom would be an enemy of Israel and, and would oppress them. And so uh, the, the Bible throughout the, the pages of the Old Testament talks about how your, uh, he, when he references Israel, all the nation, he references them as one person, Jacob or Israel. And he references the nation of Edom as Esau. And he says, your brother has hated you and, and warred and taken up the sword against you. So it's very interesting how these two brothers are personified as uh, the nations as history plays out. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but he, it's time for him to confront the past now. So he sends these messengers on. He's afraid that his brother still hates him. He's afraid that his brother's going to kill him and destroy all, these, all his family and, and his flocks and going to, to, to finally exact his vengeance for stealing that blessing. Um, and so he sends these messengers on. The messengers come back in verse 6, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. <laughs> By the way, he's coming over to, to see you. <laughs> and, and Jacob doesn't know what's going on. And he says, that, hey, and he's bringing 400 men with him. So if you're in Jacob's position, it kind of seems like a battle is about to take place. Uh, he's coming to, to destroy you. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he, he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And he says if, if he takes out this one band, at least the rest of this, this, this band can flee, and he won't destroy it all. And so he kind of splits up his family into these, these groups uh, to kind of protect them and to, to preserve at least some of what he has in case, in case Esau does mean them harm. Um, and, it's, <clears throat> and then we see this prayer in this moment of distress from Jacob as he's about to confront and knows he's com com coming up against this confrontation with his brother Esau, who he wronged. He, he has this prayer during this moment of distress. 
in Genesis 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which says to me, Return to thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies, of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he prays and he reminds God of this great blessing that he poured and he entreats God, God's favor and his help uh, to, to, not be, uh, to not be consumed by his brother or destroyed by his brother Esau. And I want to notice what he says. Uh, he says, I left here and I passed over this Jordan with just a staff. And we're reminded of when Jacob began this journey. He left fleeing because he had caused this deceit and he had stolen this blessing. And then he goes into these, these, this life of hardship. And it seems like a transformation has taken place in this man. As now he stands before God and says, I'm not worthy of any of this. He just, he just totally humbled in this moment. I'm not worthy of all your mercies, of all your truth, of all the great things that you've done for me. And he recognizes that he started off with nothing but a staff in hand, and now he's got so much, it's two bands. He's got these wives, he's got these 11 sons, he's got all these flocks of cattle and of sheep and of goats and, and, and everything. He's become so wealthy and God has made him great. And he says, God, please, you, you said you would, through my seed, bring this multitude and make my sand as the sand of the sea, so please don't let Esau destroy that, is, is kind of his plea to God. But what happens next is, is pretty incredible. In this, in this great moment of, of probably his weakest moment, his most afraid, his most humbled state, he, he can't sleep. He tries to sleep that night. It seems like he can't sleep anyway because it says he, got, he gets up in the night. He takes his family over and crosses uh, this ford um, and takes them across in, into there. And he, he seems to go back, and he's all by himself now. He's sent on all his people ahead. And one of the things he did to try to appease his brother's anger, he tried to send like tons of animals, something like four or 500 animals that he sends in these groups ahead of him and his family to, as a gift to Esau to try to appease his anger and say, this, please receive this in my hand and know like, we're, we mean you peace and we want peace. And so he had sent that ahead and then he sends his family on ahead uh, that night and then he's there all alone. And what we see is his struggle with God. Uh, he, he wrestles, literally, he wrestles with God. In Genesis chapter 32, we read of this account. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not go. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said to him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall no more. Shall be, shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, 
Thou hast prevailed with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask me after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And, and as he passed over, the, over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. So <clears throat> it's just an incredible account, and there's, you could probably spend an entire, uh, <laughs> entire week unpacking the things that are, that are contained in this, but just some quick observations here. When you, you see the power that, this, that God has, he can instantly dislocate Jacob's hip. And so it's not that Jacob is somehow mightier or pow- more powerful than God, but I think God allows him to, to prevail because he sees that even though he's weakened in body, he prevails in spirit and he refuses to let go of God without a blessing. He clings on and he will not give up. And, he will, and th- that shows us the determination that Jacob had that even through this, this intensely distress this intense distress that he was going through and this fear that he was going through, he was not going to stop without getting a blessing from him. And so then we see God blesses him. So, so he's weakened, uh, even in his body. He refuses to let go without a blessing. And then God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. He says, no longer are you a supplanter, but you are one who prevails. You, you have power to prevail with God and with man. And there's, a, there's something symbolic here in the struggle between God and man and, and this, this, this conflict that is, that is between us of, of sin. And, and there's an image here of endurance of a, of a man who is so keen to cling to the, to the blessings of God that he endures greatly. And it seems like this moment kind of highlights a transformation that takes place in Jacob's life. He goes from this place as Jacob with only a staff in his hand and having endured many years of hardship, he returns and emerges as a, as a man called Israel, as a prince that prevails with this multitude of blessings. What an, incredible, what an incredible shift in the story now of Jacob. Now God pronounces this new name and he's transformed. And now, and now it seems, uh, having received this blessing, Jacob is sure and he goes forward to be reunited with his brother and to, uh, and to co- confront this conflict of the past. Now, Jacob wasn't sure what was going to take place when he met Esau, but he heard he's coming, and then he sees him in uh, Genesis 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaidens, and he put the handmaidens and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times till he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's an emotional reunion for these brothers, and Jacob... Uh, Jacob's prayer is answered, and it doesn't go the way he expects it to go and, and be destroyed, but instead, instead they, they reunite, and it's, a, again, an emotional reunion as they, as they hug each other, and they, they cry and they weep together. 
And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there was a great sense of relief from Jacob, knowing all these years, these 20 years of what he did to his brother and how his brother hated him, but that seems to have melted away now by this point. Um, and so it's just a neat closing of this, of this, of this storyline where his brother hates him, but now having gone through the transformation and the struggle with God and the confidence he has in the, in the power of God, he can now confront the past and make reconciliation. And so God recon, brings this reconciliation between the two. Um, now as they journey on, they, they go on, Jacob comes to a place and he buys a field and there he erects an altar. And it's important because what he names it, he says, there he erected an altar and called it Elohi Israel, uh, El Elohi Israel, which is the mighty God of Israel, is, is what he calls this altar. And so it shows us a shift and a change in the mindset of Jacob and knowing this confidence that he has that, that this God that he serves is the mighty God of Israel. Um, <clears throat> and from there... As you continue in the story, Jacob returns to Bethel. God calls him back to go to the place where it all started when he blessed him. And it seems like a nice bookend to the story of, of, of Israel and, and of Jacob. Um, and the place where he first dreamed of this ladder and seeing these angels of God ascending and descending and God standing there and pronouncing this blessing to him, God calls him to return there and make an altar. And so Genesis chapter 35 verse 3 he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar to God. And who, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the day which, uh, and was with me in the day which I went. Um, and so God appears to him in this place, Genesis 39, uh, 35, rather, verse 9. And God appeared to Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. So contrast this with the beginning when God first made the promise in Genesis 28. He's on his way to Padanaram. He's fleeing because of his brother's wrath, and he sees a dream. But now he comes back. God calls him there. Uh, he's coming back from this place, um, from his fleeing. He's confronted the problem, and he doesn't see a dream now, but God appears to him there and speaks with him and says, it reaffirms these things, his, this transformation. He says, you are now Israel, and you are going to... Great nations are come of thee, and kings will come from thy loins. And, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. He reissues this charge to this man now, uh, that the same charge we saw given to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. The same charge we saw given to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. The same charge we saw to Abraham, for them to become uh, fruitful and to multiply, now passed on to him. And it seems like now he's capable and God places this responsibility on him because the language is a little bit different when he comes back now, stronger, more mature, grow, uh, grown up spiritually um, and capable of handling this. 
So there's a, there's a huge difference that when he comes back to Bethel. And then we see Jacob set up another pillar, the same way he did at the first, but this time he does even more. In Genesis 35, verse 14, And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of that place where God spake with him Bethel, which is the house of God. Um, so it seems like Jacob is now at this point willing to do more, willing to give more. He pours this drink offering first and then pours oil upon it. Um, and it's just a, a symbol, really, it seems like, of, of even greater sacrifice that Israel is willing to give uh, in order to, to uh, praise God and to worship Him. The final thing, uh, even though this is a kind of a bookend and you see this great transformation that takes place for Jacob, it doesn't quite end there. God comes to him and reassures him more throughout his life. But there's one in particular that I want to focus on, and that is in Genesis 46. Years have gone by. Jacob's grown into an old man, you know, uh, at this point. Uh, he's 130 years old, and it's time for him to go down into Egypt. Uh, as the story goes through between 30, chapter 35 and 46, his older sons become jealous of the love that he has for Joseph, eventually sells him into slavery, uh, or the, the brothers sell Joseph into slavery, and they tell Jacob, well, he's dead. And so they, they deceive him. And so Jacob spends many years thinking Joseph is just dead. But after many years, he learns that Jacob is, or Joseph is not dead. And in order to protect them from the harsh famine that they're going through, Joseph brings all his family into Egypt, and God comes to him and reassures him on their journey uh, as he stops in Beersheba to make this altar and to worship God. God comes in and uh, reassures him of this journey of going into Egypt. Genesis 46, verse 1, And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. And I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So he comforts Jacob now. <clears throat> Here closer to the end of his life. And tells him, go down. Seems like one more task. One last task for, for Jacob to do. Go down into Egypt and it's there where I will multiply you. And as it turns out, that is where God multiplied them. The more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more uh, over time, the more they oppressed them, the more they grew into this great multitude. And we know the parts of the story from there. Um, but it's an incredible account of this, of this man and his faith. And what can we learn from this story? Because the point is to connect these stories uh, of old to the, st the story of Christ, because it's always been about Jesus. So what can we learn about Christ? And, and then what can we learn about ourselves? So I want to start off by looking at the promise of Christ. Now, of course, when we're looking at these stories, when we see how God says, your seed will be as, a, as the sand of the sea, as the stars of heaven, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, it was always talking about Jesus and pointing that on. So we're seeing these 
these people like Isaac carry on that blessing. We're seeing these people like Jacob carry on this promise and this blessing and how God is using the lives of these men to bring this about. Now to Abraham and his seed, uh, Paul says in Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he said not, and to seeds, speaking plurally, but God was always talking about one specific person, as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the story has always been about Jesus. Now, this blessing is the one that God always intended to give to the entire world, as He promised in Genesis 3.15, but through Abraham's family. Now, what's interesting is the story of Jacob rather shows us that the lives of these people that carried this promise weren't always the greatest, weren't always the, the cleanest stories. It wasn't like Jacob was some you know, righteous, pure and holy, just totally perfect guy. He was, I mean, he was filled with sin. And his life was filled with strife and filled with chaos because of sin. And yet God is capable of prevailing through that to bring about His, his promise of the Christ. How amazing is that? And, and if you look across the, the, the lineage of Jesus, I mean, there's harlots and, and in, in that lineage, and there's you know, adulterers, and there's all kinds of warts. But God is still able to work through those things and prevail, and, and prevail against our, our own iniquities to bring about His purposes. And so that's a great blessing that, that stands out as we look at the story of Jacob. Um, but then we see this transformation take place in his life through this life of hardship. Now what's interesting about the story of Jacob is that he agrees to this hard labor and a life of hardship in order to gain a bride. That's really the story of Jesus, isn't it? When we think about Jesus coming into this life, he leaves the glory of, of heaven and the comforts and, the, and all the power and the majesty of God in order to make Himself a servant and, a, and come in the form of a human to endure incredible hardships. Hebrews chapter 2, 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like to His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself has suffered being tempted, He is now able to succor them that are, that are tempted. He's able to help us now because he understands what it means to, to live a life of hardship because he came and lived as a, as a man, God himself in the form of, of man. And there's many more verses we could look at to show that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and God was with us. And Jesus accepted this labor. Jesus accepted this task in order to win his bride, the church. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I, I can imagine that the, these years of hardship and the, the toil and the pain and the suffering and the torture that Jesus went through on the cross was but a light affliction in light of the glory he was gaining and, and the bride he was gaining. Just like it was for Jacob, probably seemed but just a few days in order to gain the one he loved. And Jesus is the perfect picture of that because he, he endured so much more intensely than any man ha ever has or will. 
in order to bring about this blessing of gaining his bride, his beloved. Um, and that's a beautiful picture in the story of, of Jacob that we see in, in the story of Christ. Um, the other thing we can see of the story of Jesus is this anointed stone. Uh, I didn't have these verses in here for the sake of time, but in the days of the Old Testament, uh, you can look at Exodus 28, 41, uh, to see that when the high priests were appointed, Aaron, the, high, the first high priest, was appointed, God had Moses pour this oil on him and anoint him. So the pouring of oil is an anointing that's happening for the office of priest, and then it would happen again for the office of king. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, when, when Saul became the king, Samuel came and said, He sent me to anoint you. And they would pour this, this horn of oil upon them, and, and it would cover them, and it's this, this anointing. So the priests and the king are both anointed with oil. Well, Jesus, if you think about what Jacob said, this stone shall become the house of God. That's Christ. He is the stone. He is the rock of our salvation. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul calls him the the chief cornerstones. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and, uh, and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus is this stone that... Uh, you can think about the prophecy of Daniel. The stone would strike the image at the feet and grow into this great mountain fill the whole earth. Jesus is that stone. And He is the one that is anointed by God because the anointing that we see of the pouring of the oil is a picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that was upon Jesus in full measure in, in uh, Acts chapter 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went up and about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus did these very things to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, but God had anointed him with the Spirit. He said this in Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the work that Jesus came to do, and he had to be anointed to do as this great stone. Now what about this, this imagery of Jacob pouring this drink offering? That drink offering was a symbol of something being poured out and, and poured out to God. Well, Jesus actually embodies that very imagery of something being poured out in that he gave his blood for our sins. Matthew 26, verse 28, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus himself literally is the drink offering, being poured out, uh, as he says, this cup of the New Testament, poured out on behalf of others and many for the remission of sins. And so he is the, the anointed stone uh, that we see in the story of Jacob. And then finally, in the years uh, of Israel's history as a, as a nation, and over the years, Egypt became a symbol of oppression and slavery because they began to oppress them, they made them slaves, they in inflicted hard labor upon them and, and were very oppressive. And so that kind of becomes a symbol of that throughout their, their history as a nation. Well, remember that God tells Jacob that I'm going to go down with you into Egypt, I'm going to multiply you there, and I'm going to bring you up again from there. This can be none other than a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Egypt is a symbol of death and of bondage, 
then it maps to the picture of Hades that we have and, and the descriptions of Hades that the Bible gives us. When we die, which we're never supposed to do, our soul goes to a place where it doesn't belong because we're separated from the body. And it goes to this, this realm of the dead, Hades. You can find the information and see how Christ describes that in Luke chapter 16. Um, you can see what it describes in, in Acts chapter 2 of Christ himself going there. But it's a place we don't belong. And Hades is a symbol now of death and of sin. It's the sting of sin. And, and it's an embarrassment. And it's something that was never supposed to take place. But Jesus had to go down into that place. He had to go down into Egypt, so to speak, in order for God to bring him back out of Egypt. Uh, Luke chapter 24 Verse 26, And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it gives us a, a very great description of this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus had to come and take on this life of the flesh, and had to die in order to go through the experience that we do of, of dying, so that he could be restored and create an opportunity and a, and a way for us to be restored. He makes it possible for us to be redeemed. And he goes down into Hades, and there God multiplies him greatly. And he takes authority, and he takes charge over death itself, and claims all the souls that have gone there for himself and to himself, and he's raised up, as a, as a leader over all these sons of God and, and our king. As he says, he, he brought many sons to glory out of this place of, of, that's Egypt. Uh, and he will do that. But Jesus had to go down there in order to be multiplied greatly. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise himself took part of the same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him that had power of, of, of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So Jesus is the one that goes down into Hades, and as the prophecies say, uh, out of Egypt have I called my son. Jesus is being raised from this place of sin and death and bondage, and bringing freedom from this oppression, bringing change, bringing transformation, bringing glory to His people. And He has multiplied greatly there. Uh, I'm sure that there's so much more that I missed as far as the things that we could examine about Jacob's life and the connections we could make between he and, and the story of Christ. Um, but those are the ones that stand out the most um, and, and before we end off, I want to ask, what about you? What is, how, how does this story connect? Well, of course, our story is wrapped up in the story of Christ, and the, the decisions we make is a, it can be a part of that story. But what about you? I think there's two things that you and I can learn from this story of Jacob. 
that, that can be impactful for us. First, like Jacob, you might be running away from sin that you need to confront. Jacob tried to run. Jacob tried to go and live a whole new life. And he spent 20 years, uh, even, even enduring all these hardships and growing his, fam- his own family and doing his own thing and, and having a totally new life, trying to run away and flee from his brother's wrath. But it didn't work. God called him to go back. And so there is a confrontation of sin that needs to take place. Maybe you're confronting, running from something that you need to confront. Um, but like Jacob, you will not be able to stand against that conflict until you have struggled with God and you have transformed and changed and received a new name. Ephesians chapter 2, or 4 rather, verse 22, says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, God wants us to live a life of transformation. He wants us to, to go through this struggle, to cling with Him with, as it says of Jacob in Hosea chapter 12, he cried and he wept when he made these supplications. He was, he was extremely sincere in this blessing that he wanted. And the blessing awaits for us. If we put in the extreme effort of changing, it's going to hurt. God dislocated his hip during that struggle. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But if we cling to the mighty God of Israel and beg for His blessings, He will transform us and give us a new name. If we follow the the instructions that He's given us, He will give us this new name, the name of Christ. And only then will we be able to to be strong enough, uh, not through our own power and might, but through God's power, to stand against the, the sins of our past and to overcome them. And so we need to go through that transformation. If you're running away from sin, consider that. And make the necessary changes you need, although painful, necessary, and beneficial for your life. Secondly, if we go through that transformation, if we're living that life, and if like Jacob we endure hardships of life, we're going to go through a lot of terrible things, we're going to get mistreated, but if we constantly lean on God and trust in the promise that He's made to us through Christ and remain faithful during this life of transformation and as we grow and as we mature. We'll have a story like Jacob because one day God's going to call us to return back to Bethel. He's going to call us to return back to His house. And, and we will stand in the house of God having been brought out of Hades by His power. Colossians, or 2 Corinthians, rather, chapter 4. Knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a, mar, a, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Endure the hardships. Stay focused on the promise of God and know that He'll call you back. And, and what we're being taken through in this journey that we're 
living through as Christians is worth it. And God intends to bless us through, through it all. Um, if, if you're here this morning and you know you're struggling with either running away from your sin and you need to confront it, or you need encouragement as a Christian to continue, maybe you're stumbling, maybe you're falling, maybe the, the hardships are, are overcoming you or overtaking you, know that God is with you and, and you will prevail with Him and also His host, His family is here to help and, and to encourage and to pray with and to study with uh, to help us all through this journey back home to God. Um, if, you need help, if you need that help, please don't be ashamed. We're the family of God and we love you and want that transformation to take place. So please come forward as we stand and sing the song that was selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.